So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1 as we continue to make our way through this gospel together. Last time we were in Luke, we looked at the second hymn, the Magnificat, the, the Song of Mary. Remember the first hymn we studied together was the Song of Elizabeth, and the first Christmas carol about the arrival of God in, in human flesh was not sung by angels, it was not even sung by Mary, it was sung by Elizabeth, who was Mary's much older cousin. And if you remember, Elizabeth was married to an old priest by the name of Zechariah. And today we are going to go back to the story of Zechariah. The last time we were here with Zechariah, he had literally been struck dumb. He was mute because he struggled to get in his head and into his heart the promise of the angel to him that he was going to be a father at such an advanced age and that his beloved wife Elizabeth was going to be a mother at her advanced age. And when he could not express believing trust in, in God's promises, the angel said, well, Zechariah, you're not going to be able to speak until the baby that God has promised through my word to you has been born. So we come back to that story here this morning. And it's been a long nine months already for Zechariah, not able to speak, not able to communicate with his mouth. He had been communicating, though, um, with a, a tablet, some, not, a, not an electronic tablet, okay, a little board that he had been writing on. Um, because we see this tablet mentioned here in the passage that we're going to be reading today. Um, he has apparently told Elizabeth through this um, writing apparatus, this tablet, that um, he's told Elizabeth about the encounter that he's had with, with the angel because she knows what the angel has already said to him, as we will see in this passage. And she already knows what the name is that has to be given to the baby in her in, in, a, in a womb. And even though Zechariah can't speak, Elizabeth's ready to speak for him at the appropriate time. But during this time, which was no doubt a time of soul searching for Zechariah, it was a time of silence for him, a time of repentance, as well as a time of reflection in the midst of um, his own repentance to consider the meaning to consider the meaning of the word of the Lord and to consider whether he really believes the word of the Lord. And we're going to find out as we read this passage today that Zechariah passes this test with flying colors, unlike the first time when he failed that test. There has been a great work of grace in Zechariah's life and, and in his heart we see a completely changed person. Um, so this is not... Um, the, again, this is a continuation of the story as he expresses his trust in the, the word of the Lord. So let's give our attention to God's word in Luke chapter 1, and we are going to read from verse 57 to verse 66. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. 
And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Let's pray together. Father, we so grateful that this story has been recorded for us. And we know in your infinite wisdom, Lord, you had planned it to be so. This narrative, Lord, for our edification, for our admonition, for our training in righteousness. We pray, tomorrow, we pray to this morning as we, as we see these truths revealed for us in your word, that you would help us apply this to our lives. This is not just a distant story that happened 2,000 odd years ago, but this is These truths have been recorded, Lord, for us to know you more and to see how your plan of redemption has been fulfilled, how you have kept your promises from ages past. And you are the faithful covenant keeper. So we pray, Lord, please open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts this morning to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Luke recounts for you this history, he tells the history in such a way that it it puts you right in the middle of it so that you are being demanded to make a response of of faith or to reject this very compelling power of the claims of truth that are being presented in this very, very gripping um, recounting of the, the history of the events that led up to the birth of Jesus the Messiah. And he asks you to make the same kinds of judgments that people in this story are having to make about the events that are happening around them at that time. And the questions really he's asking us to ask in our own hearts and our minds is, will you believe the the Word of God? That's the first question. Will you believe that that Jesus is in fact the Messiah? That's the second question. Will you believe that God himself has intervened into human history and has brought salvation in such a remarkable way? That's, that's the next question. Will you believe this? And I think sadly, sometimes we come to Christmas and we get so enamored by the, the lights and the, the trees and the decorations and, and the gifts and, and the singing. And we love Christmas, but it, it can be almost come across like a, like a fairy tale. Are these things really true or is this just something that we have created to, to enjoy, to celebrate? Well, the questions this morning from this chapter is, do we believe? Do we really believe this as the revealed truth 
of God's Word. Well, there are many things that, that we could learn from this passage. And it is, I think, obvious to us where Luke is taking us, where he's going in recounting the story. And we see in verse 66, I think, is a, is a theme verse here. If you look there, it says, And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. That's what he did. He spoke, blessing God. Blessing God. And what this story is designed to do is to focus your attention on who John the Baptist is. So that our attention will be focused on who John the Baptist came to point us to. And John the Baptist came to point us to Jesus. He came to focus our attention on Jesus. And Luke wants us to think long and hard about who John is here, about who he is and, and what he will be doing. Even as people around Zechariah and Elizabeth were, were forced to, to think of the events surrounding John's birth, uh, to think long and hard about who this child is. Because Luke wants you to think about who this child is that is going to point us to the Messiah. So everything leading up to Christ, and just as we saw Elizabeth respond to Mary, when Mary came to visit her, she wasn't focused on herself. She wasn't even focused on the baby in her own womb. She was focused on the baby in, in Mary's womb. All this focus, all the attention needs to be upon Jesus, the Messiah. So again, Luke is going to have all the attention eventually on what God is doing through John in order to bring the Messiah into this world. So my first point this morning is simply joy. It's simply joy. And we see that in verse 57 and in verse 58. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. If you have a pen, underline that last part of the verse. They rejoiced with her. Now, there's nothing surprising about that, I think. When women have children, their friends and their relatives rejoice with them. We have baby showers in our day and age, isn't it, where we um, rejoice with the, the mother who's about to give birth. There's nothing really surprising about that. We rejoice when a child comes into the world. Last week we had a baby dedication, a parent dedication, and we rejoiced with the parents, with what the Lord has done. Nothing unusual about that. But of course, in Elizabeth's case, she's rather advanced in years, isn't she? And so is Zechariah. So this is not just a normal pregnancy. Um, there's even more reason to be rejoicing here. They, they didn't think that this family was ever going to, to have children. And God has given them a son. So there's every reason for rejoicing. But did you notice here something very interesting? Did you notice the way that Luke describes this joy. He doesn't say that her neighbors and her relatives heard that she had had a child and rejoiced with her. That wasn't what he says. Look there. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord, that the Lord 
had shown mercy to her. They weren't rejoicing just at the birth of John. They were rejoicing at what the Lord had done. And what had the Lord done? The Lord had shown great mercy to her. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? This is not just a, a matter of luck. This is not just a, a matter of, of chance. This is the Lord's doing. And the root of their joy was in the recognition that this was indeed God's provision. This was from the Lord. God had done this thing. She didn't just have a child. God had done this thing. He was in the middle of this wonderful miracle. Yes, I understand that she was involved in age, and that would be all the more reason for them to, to recognize God's hand. But, but you understand, folks, that we always need to see God's hand in whatever has been provided for us. Yes, we have a job, but who has provided that job for us? Yes, we are able to do the job with the skills we have, but who has given us those talents in order to do, those, to do that work? We need to see the Lord's hand in all of our situations, just like the people around Elizabeth did. There has been nothing given to any of us that does not come from the hand of our Heavenly Father, who is a good giver. And James reminds us of this in, in James chapter 1, verse 7, that every good gift comes from the, the Father of lights. He says in verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, there's no shifting shadow. He is the Father of lights. There are no shadows around Him. It is all from God. Every good gift. Every good gift. Not some, every good gift. And this is a reminder to us that the kind of joy that we ought to share together as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it is at the birth of a child or, or whether our other circumstances of life ought to be rooted in the sense that it is God who has provided. It is God who has provided. And they even describe it that way. They heard that the Lord had shown great mercy, that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And it's the Lord behind this. The Lord is the one who has given her a son. And their joy was rooted in a recognition of God's providence and His goodness and His mercy and His kindness. And so should ours. And so should ours. Well, there's a second thing I want you to see. And we see that in verse 59 to verse 64. And that is Zechariah's faith. Zechariah's faith. Let's read there in verse 59. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. You can imagine them trying to get his attention. What? Can you imagine the signs? doesn't tell us what signs, but they're making signs. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, 
and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? They've all gathered for the, the circumcision. This means that the boy who will eventually be called John is eight days old. So that was their, their tradition. On the eighth day, they would circumcise the, the boy, and they would give a name to their child on the, on the eighth day. This was the, the custom that we see in the Old Testament. And when the people gathered for that rite of circumcision, they, they simply assumed that this boy was going to be named after his father. And they are preparing to name him Zechariah. And Elizabeth, who has believed that angel from the moment that she heard about it from Zechariah, and perhaps even while he was communicating to her on, on that tablet, she says, no, his name's not Zechariah. His name is, is not going to be Zechariah. His name is going to be John. And the immediate response is, Elizabeth, there is nobody in your family named John. What are you talking about? Nobody. You can go back 20 generations and there's nobody who is called John. What are you talking about? You don't have a cousin even named John. Your father's not named John. Your grandfather, your husband's father is not named John. There is nobody in your family who is named John. And so they turn to, to Zechariah. Try and, try and picture this. And I, lo I love this part. They start making signs to, to Zechariah. Now, the problem is Zechariah can hear perfectly fine. Nothing is wrong with his ears, okay? Just with his mouth. I remember in India when, when I was on the phone trying to speak with someone who, who didn't know English, um, they must have thought that if they spoke louder in Hindi, I will understand Hindi. And that wasn't the case, generally. Um, no matter how loud I spoke, I still didn't understand them. Um, no matter how loud I speak in English, they didn't understand me. Um, it wasn't my hearing problem. It was just a communication problem here. So he can hear perfectly well. And he says, give me something to write. Give me something to write on. And silently he calls them to give this, this tablet, and he writes on this tablet, his name is John. And all those months of silence, remember, that was God's judgment upon him for not believing God's word, for not believing God's promises, have now borne fruit in his heart. We see the discipline of the Lord has brought the peaceable fruit of righteousness. We see a change in Zechariah now. Right here at the naming of his son, there is not a shadow of doubt in his mind what he is to do. Because now he has believed God's word. And the answer is clear. The answer is emphatic, just like Elizabeth. His name is John. And we see something, I think, of God's kindness in his dealing with Zechariah because through that ordeal of silence, Zechariah's faith in, in God's word has, has grown. And now he displays his faith in, in God's promise. His name is John. And the angel was right. 
His name is John. His name is not Zechariah. His name is John. Just like God's word to me through the angel says. He is believing the word of the Lord. And that trial that he went through by the, the Holy Spirit, by making him mute, has borne fruit in Zechariah's life. And he believes. And out of that belief, and immediately, see what happens. The Lord loosens his tongue. Immediately, as he writes that name down, his tongue is loosened. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is the blessing and the praise of God. The blessing and the praise of God. Try to think about that for a moment. If you couldn't speak for, for even a month, one month, what would be the first thing that would come out of your mouth? Please, I want a McDonald's burger. No, I don't know. Maybe. What would be the first thing that comes out of your mouth? I want you to think about that for a few minutes because you may be wondering in your own trials perhaps that you are going through. Maybe you are tempted to think, Lord, what are you doing? Lord, what is, what is going on? Perhaps you're even tempted to, to speak those words when you are going through a, through a trial. Perhaps you're tempted to even speak these words, why? Why am I going through this trial? Folks, God never wastes adversity in the lives of his children. And I want you to see that here clearly. Some of you know the, the story of uh, Nate Saint and Jim Elliott and the other three missionaries who, who ministered in the jungles of, of Ecuador in South America in, in the 1950s. Well, in 1956, Steve Saint was five years old when his father Nate flew this Piper cruiser plane with, with four other missionaries to make contact with this very dangerous tribe called the Waodoni, also known as the Alka, the Alka Indians. And Alka means the, the naked savage. They were very um, recluse and, and, and separated from the rest of society. But after Several months of exchanging gifts with them, and they, they, they lowered these gifts from their aircraft, or they, they dropped these gifts from this, from this airplane. The five men eventually made contact with these, with these natives, with these, with these savage Indians. And the story goes that these men were, were speared. They were killed. They were thrown through with spears multiple times and, and hacked to death with machetes. And after this incident, God changed many of the hearts of these Waodoni savages. This is making a long story very short. And eventually these Waodoni people realized the, the message that these missionaries were preaching was true. And rather than rejecting it like they did, they, they embraced the gospel and they repented of what they had done by killing these missionaries. And they invited Steve's 
aunt Rachel, who had been ministering in a nearby village, she had even translated the Bible into their language and tried to send scripture into these villages. Eventually, after a number of years, they invited Steve's aunt, Rachel, to a nearby, to, to visit them and to stay with them and to live among them. And Steve, saint, who was Nate's son, was also invited to visit his aunt um, while she was living with this Waldoni tribe. And he used to visit her every summer. I mean, what a wonderful summer holiday, hey? Dangerous summer holiday. But when he was 14 years old, Steve and his sister Kathy were saved by God's grace. And they decided to be baptized and chose a couple of converted Waldoni believers to perform their, their baptism in the same water next to the beach where their father was killed. And the man that Steve chose, his name was uh, Minkai. And he was responsible. He was the one who delivered the, the final spear that ultimately killed his, his father. And this man is now baptizing his son. And three of the six warriors were there that day when Steve was baptized. And after Rachel died, the tribe asked Steve to come and live with them there in the jungle in Ecuador. And Steve chose to forgive these men who had killed his father. And Steve says he has never forgotten the pain and, and the heartache of, of losing his dad, but he chose to trust God to write his, his life story. And I wanted to share this quote with you from Steve Saint. He said, What the... Waldoni meant for evil, God used for good. And given the chance to rewrite the story, I would not be willing to change it. I would not be willing to change it. What a wonderful testimony, isn't it? How God used his adversity, God used the trials that, that Steve went through to bring him to, to the gospel, bring him to the saving knowledge of Himself. And God does that even in our story here, folks. God uses the trial of, of Zechariah. He uses the adversity of Zechariah to glorify himself. And he does it in our lives every single day. For those of us who call ourselves believers. And God often uses trials through the Spirit of God to, to build us up, to grow us into grace and to help us to, to believe, to help us to believe. It's not that any of his good gifts should be despised. That's not what I'm saying. But he is saying that in a special way, God will use afflictions. God will use trials. And by his spirit, he will grow us up in grace. This is what has happened with Zechariah. And so it is that Perhaps where, where you are today, if you are in a time of trial, if you are under pressure, and perhaps you've been tempted to speak these words, Lord, what in the world are you, are you doing? Well, if you're God's child, no question that God has purposes for your adversity. Don't believe the, the lies of the devil, folks. God allows us to go through times of trials. Just because we 
Believers doesn't mean we are exempt from suffering. Far from it. God calls us to suffer. God calls us to suffer. And if you're believing those lies on the television that God calls Christians to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, you are believing a lie, folks. God calls us to suffer. And He uses the suffering for His glory. He wants the world to see how we respond in our times of suffering. It's a supernatural response. And the words that we speak should be blessing God, not cursing God. And the world should look at us and should wonder, why would you say that during your time of trial? Why, Steve Saint, would you get the murderer of your father to baptize you? The world should ask these questions so that we can give the only answer that will save them, that will help them to see the Savior. God uses adversity. God uses adversity. And when the time comes, Zechariah, what is his name? Give the right answer, folks. Give the right answer. Use that adversity for God's glory. Zechariah did that. His name is John. There wasn't a little hesitation. The first time the angel of the Lord is, is standing before him and he wants to query that angel. Oh, hold on. Hold on here, angel. Explain some things to me. No, not this time. Not this time. What's his name, Zechariah? John. His name is John. What's happened? In the nine months of silence, in the nine months of repentance and confession and self-examination, God has brought a solid faith in Zechariah. And the word John means the grace of the Lord. It means the grace of the Lord. What's his name, Zechariah? The grace of the Lord. Just think how powerful that must have been. That leads to my third point. It leads to my third point. And that is God's witness to the coming Messiah. Third and last point. Look at the end of the passage. In fact, go back to, go back to verse um, 63. This is where, where Luke is going. What is the result of this child being born and the result of Elizabeth and Zechariah's faith? Well, we see here the result that everybody is amazed. Look at the end of verse 63. They all wondered. They all wondered. And they wondered because of the meaning of John's name. John's name means God is gracious. And the people wondered, in what way will, will God be gracious? Why are you calling this son God is gracious? What does this child have to do with the grace of God? And of course, they, they did not yet understand that John was the last Old Testament prophet. They didn't understand that. They didn't understand that this baby was the messenger coming before the Savior. They didn't fully understand that yet. They didn't understand that this would be the prophet whom God's grace would come to all who would receive it, the, the prophet who would point people to the grace of God. And we see there are two immediate responses to Zechariah's answer. First, look at verse 64. Luke said that immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. He spoke, blessing God. At last he could speak again and what did he do? 
He blessed and he praised God. Um, let me read what, what commentator had to say about this. Very insightful. He said, given this prophecy by Gabriel that Zechariah would be unable to speak until the day that these things take place, we might have expected the man to get his voice back the day the baby was born. Yet, strangely, Zechariah was speechless for another week. In fact, another eight days. Remember, this is the eighth day, the day of his circumcision. So he hasn't spoken since the birth. He did not find his voice until he named his son John. Only then did the angel's promise fully come true. Or to put it another way, God waited until Zechariah acted on his faith. By calling him John, the priest showed that he truly believed what the angel had said. And for nine months, he had been alone with his thoughts, pondering the angel's message. He had come to believe that his son would prepare the way for the Savior by naming the boy John in obedience to God Zechariah was proving his faith in God's promise. In God's promise. Look again at verse 65. Fear came on all their neighbors. All these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts. Now we can understand that the people must have been astonished at what had just happened. For nine months, Zechariah couldn't speak a single word. Now he was able to speak, and the first thing that comes out, his, his mouth is, is a blessing to God. Something clearly unusual has happened. And all who heard about this pondered on it. They laid it up in their, in their hearts, and they said, what then will this child be? And they're asking the right questions, isn't it? There's something very special about this child. People talked about all the details that surrounded John's birth. And there were many details. Remember the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the temple in, in Jerusalem. Remember then there was the promise of a son made to Zechariah by the angel. And of course, Zechariah became mute as a result of, of his death. And then not to... Not to forget about Elizabeth. Elizabeth conceiving a child, even though she was, was barren and, and very old, well beyond the age of, of childbearing. And then, of course, the birth of the child who was to be the Savior's messenger and the safe delivery of this child. And then, of course, Zechariah suddenly being miraculously healed of his, of his muteness. All of these things people were talking about. It tells us there they were talking of the, all across the, the hill country of Judea. And the result of this is everybody all over the region was focused on that one question. What then will this child be? Who will this child be? And the Lord, I think, had a had a wonderful plan in mind that, that he is going to unfold through, through this child, through baby John. We know he has this wonderful plan because of these extraordinary events. And that's exactly what, what God intended. That's exactly what he wanted. He wanted people to be talking about this. 
He wanted people to be talking about his amazing providence in the lives of Zechariah and, and Elizabeth and, of course, baby John. He wanted people to be focusing everywhere on the question, who is this child going to be? Who is this child? Who do the people say that I am? Isn't that what, what Jesus asked? Isn't that what, what Jesus said to his disciples? And isn't it interesting that it is John the Baptist who is going to tell people who Jesus is? It's John the Baptist who is preparing the way, who is pointing people to the Messiah that has been promised, that they have been waiting for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. He is coming, and it is John who is going to point people to this promised child. I love the story. In all of this, Luke is unfolding a story in which God is unfolding his plan to point us to Jesus the Messiah, the redemption that he promised. And Luke knew that God had promised through Malachi that he would send a messenger. There's a promise there in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, of this prophet who would prepare the way for the Lord. And Luke knew that John was to be this messenger. And what is important for us to see here is that, is that God is fulfilling his promises. God is fulfilling his promises. And God always fulfills his promises. Not just sometimes, all the time. And he promised that he would send a messenger who would be the forerunner to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that messenger is John. God fulfills his promise at the birth of John by the naming of John. And no one or nothing can, can thwart God's purposes. And his purpose, folks, is to have a people who are living in fellowship with him. And that is why he created Adam and Eve. And Adam broke God's law. We know about that. And his sin has now been passed on to, to all of his, his offspring which is us, with the exception of Jesus Christ, who is perfect in every way. And God sent Jesus to be the Savior of sinners. This was his plan all along. This was his promise right there in Genesis chapter 3. And in a couple of weeks, we will study Luke's account of the birth of Jesus just as we, just as we celebrate Christmas together. But folks, before Jesus was born, John was born. And John was born to point people to the arrival of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Luke wrote the account of the birth of John the Baptist so that we would trust God and we would trust His, his Word. And Luke wants us to believe that Jesus is the one who came to seek and to save the lost. Do you believe this? That's a question I want to leave with you this morning. Do you believe the word of God? 
Are you going to respond like Zechariah did the first time or the second time? Last week we heard a wonderful message about the sufficiency of Scripture. Do we believe the Scriptures, folks? Do we believe the Word of God? Do we believe the promises that God has for us revealed here in the Word? Well, God sent John to point us to the Savior, the Savior who would take the sins of the world, who would come to seek and to save the lost. Believe in Jesus today, the Bible says, and you will be saved. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would forgive us, Lord, where we have doubted your word. Lord, if we are honest with ourselves, we have all failed in that area at some point, at some time, where we have doubted your promises, where we have doubted even your character. Lord, where we have believed lies, where we have been distracted by the world and the philosophies of this generation and we have not believed your infallible word. We pray that you would forgive us for that. Thank you, Lord, for showing us again that you do keep your promises, that you are the covenant keeper. You are Yahweh as revealed to us the great I Am the one who keeps his promises. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son. Thank you, Lord, for even sending John to help us to remember that you are sending your son. We pray, Lord, this Christmas as we celebrate, Lord, as we enjoy the festivities, we ask, Lord, please keep our hearts close to you. Help us remember the reason for the season. Help us remember, Lord, that this is a, a fulfillment of your word. And that Jesus would be born through a virgin. And that your son would grow up perfectly without sin and live a human life without sin so that he could die a terrible death for our sins. If your son was never born, we would have no atonement. There would be nothing, Lord. There would be no hope for us. But we thank you that he was born. Thank you, Lord, that you are the faithful, covenant-keeping God who sent the Messiah who would come and seek and save the lost. And I pray today, if there's not, if someone in this room who doesn't know you as their Savior, who hasn't put their trust in your word, who hasn't put their trust in your son, Jesus Christ, that you would grant them repentance right now, Lord, and that today would be the day of their salvation. And for us, Lord, who are believers who have put our faith in you, may we live it, Lord. May we not hesitate to give an answer to those who are in need, especially this Christmas, as we have opportunities to tell others about Jesus Christ. May we not lose those opportunities, waste those opportunities. So we pray for your, your help this Christmas. We pray for your grace this Christmas.
We pray this week, Lord, that you would be magnified in our lives and that our faith, Lord, would be displayed in our actions. Lord, we love you and we pray that you would help us to love you more as we continue to study this wonderful gospel, as we continue to learn more about your wonderful character. May you receive all the honor and all the glory that you deserve. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.